Welcome to the Millennials Unpublished Podcast, where we talk about everything from gaps in the literature to gaps in society. Thank you for joining us for another episode. This is Jaslyn. And this is Darren. Thank you again for tuning in and listening to us. We appreciate all your feedback and everything. So it means a lot. Yeah, it does. Thanks, guys. Keep it up. Yeah. So we just want to dive in, you know, the deep end (laughs) into our check-in and check-up. So as always, what's up, Jasmine? What's poppin'? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Rhode Island shelter in place is being lifted and I am scared. Oh, Um, today? Uh, yes, today. Today is Sunday, uh, May 10th. And um, we've been inside for so long that I think I've, it's it's obviously become my new norm, but also yeah. I think I've developed a little bit of a fear of going outside for various reasons, whether Ooh. it's related to contracting or spreading the, um, of, of COVID-19 and also of in like, law enforcement acting out against me for being outside so um that's those are i guess the two anxieties i have around um being outside during this time and the shelter in place being lifted gotcha yeah i agree with that i definitely do think that there's going to be a rise in policing (laughs) so very much a bit concerned about that especially with recent events um I definitely think too, yeah, a little bit of like agoraphobia. Like I had to run to uh, the Rite Aid the other day and I was, I was a little concerned. It felt weird, like walking on the street. I was like, this is, this is odd. So I do wonder if there's going to be a, like a bit of a, not just me situation, but more of a a larger uh, confusion about how to deal with, you know, getting back into everyday life. But I've been feeling all right for the most part, just trying to keep on keeping on, finish these finals um just keep my head up um amidst all these things that are happening so yeah Yeah. all right (laughs) yeah it's rough um quick little side note we we have some noisy neighbors so hopefully you guys can't hear anything but if you do we apologize in advance right you know and i feel like you live close to your street jasmine too so you got those vroom vrooms you know (laughs) every now and again so i i apologize for other people um they're just gassing us up that's what they're doing they're gassing us up (laughs) all right should we just get into our topic under review this week go for it So this week, we're going to talk about um, the model minority. We're going to have a discussion around that. So this was inspired by a Grapevine discussion we watched um, on YouTube. I don't know if you know the Grapevine, but they're just a group of mostly Black folk who discuss these different issues. But on this uh, particular episode, they wanted to talk about some of the different uh, history and relationship between sort of like Asian Americans and Black Americans in relationship to this model minority idea. Like that was a a large topic, but they did also center um, some discussion around COVID and things happening in the world right now as well. So we watched this like a few hours ago, you know, it was, it was interesting and we just had a lot of thoughts on it. So we're like, let's, let's just get into it. Um, So I don't know if you wanted to start us out, Jaslyn or. Yeah. So it was definitely interesting. That's a good word to talk about um, the conversation that we saw. And in viewing it, we noticed some issues that kind of barred the discussion progressing to a place that I think both 
communities would have liked to have seen. And then also some points that we wanted to discuss further. Um, to start off with, I think the concept of words meaning things really encompasses a lot of the discussion <laughs> we saw. Um, words mean things. And specifically, um, a challenge that faced the conversation was that the language and the fundamental understanding of the topic was absent or each person on the panel had a different level of understanding. And so um, I guess we wanted to break that down. Yeah, so I think for me, it just ended up being like watching this like circular argument, like back and forth and back and forth without there being any mutual ground or mutual understandings. And I think that happens a lot in conversation. So I think we wanted to touch on that before we got into other stuff. Yeah, so um, specifically, the biggest hurdle to um, having a fruitful discussion was just the way in which the model minority discussion was, um, I guess, operationalized as like, everyone wanted to call it a myth. They wanted to say that we're talking about the model minority myth, when in fact, what they were referring to was the construct or the heuristic. So basically, a model minority is a group a, a group of people who are a minority, but have been come to understand to do exceptionally well um, on different socioeconomic markers, such as income, educational attainment, and employment. And so when you're the model minority, it kind of positions you as the ideal, um, as being better than that, sorry, excuse me, better than the other minorities um, in a society. So here in America, the model minority group are Asian Americans or Asian immigrants, just people of Asian descent. Um, that's the model minority group here. And um, I think we wanted to take the time to unpack what the difference between the construct and what the myth is. So first, the we call it a model, uh, a model minority construct because it is something that was created by um, people, specifically by white people. So the model minority construct is rooted in white supremacy, but it has very real, serious, ongoing consequences to the, um, the minority groups that are considered others, right? right? So we can talk about the historical and the legislative roots oh. of the construct. <laughs> <laughs> but to call it a myth, uh, really, it dismisses the very real impact and implications of it. And it kind of like puts it in the same category as like leprechauns and unicorns. Like those are what myths are. Uh, the ramifications of the model minority construct, that's that's not a myth. So I don't know if Darren, you wanted to jump in on that. No, I didn't have, I think you pretty much you took the cake <laughs> on that definition. But I just think like reiterating the point that it's a tool of white supremacy. Um, and I think what happens a lot of times too in certain discussions, and we haven't really gotten into it yet, but that there becomes a bit of this crosstalk when people aren't necessarily understanding um, the same concepts or you're talking about different things. Yes. And so we see evidence that it is a white supremacist construct in the most recent events surrounding the coronavirus. So just like we said that the model minority construct that works in favor of Asians, Asian Americans, people of Asian descent. Um, so in regard to what's been going on with the coronavirus, the narrative 
um, and xenophobia quickly and largely turned against Asian Americans, specifically Chinese Americans. Um, so what we want to reiterate is that it is a tool of white supremacy, but it's foolish to revel in that identity of being a model minority because when the group no longer serves to promote anti-blackness and proximity, that, that proximity to whiteness re is revoked and that group becomes an, an other. And that's what we're seeing right now where when coronavirus has been traced to China, all of a sudden, like, there's been an uptick in the, like, the prejudice that's faced by Asian Americans and Asian immigrants. And so now we're having this, this discussion, but this could have been predicted from what we've seen in the past. For example, when so there was a SARS outbreak in 2003, we saw very similar things where yeah. Asian people were being spat on or like they were facing microaggressions because pe people, white Americans specifically, were putting out this notion of, oh, this group of people is responsible for this outbreak. And so they turned against them and they no longer benefit from, benefited from that model minority status. Yeah, and I think in benefited too, it's not to say that like that group particularly sort of benefited in themselves. It's saying within the context of a white supremacist system that creates hierarchies, um, they, were, they were given a little bit of something to allow them to sort of like benefit. But that benefit is situated, that benefit is at the extent of further marginalizing like brown and black people. So there's just this layer of anti-blackness that's, that, that's created into this power structure. You know, so Absolutely. if- Yeah, so like, if you know, we all were free, <laughs> you know, and if we all were able to represent ourselves and be our own individuals, then like a benefit would, would be able to, to walk through the society on an everyday basis and not face any oppression. So I want to get into the myth portion of the model, the model minority discussion because there actually is a myth portion. And that stems from the fact that um, the conditions that this supposed um, minority group exists in, that they're well-educated, they're wealthy, and that they're, they're all around doing better than other minority groups, i.e., Black American, i.e. Hispanic, Latinx people, um, that's where the myth is rooted because this model minority construct only benefits certain groups of Asian um, people. So it doesn't benefit the working class, browner skinned Asian people. Um, they do not see the benefits of this myth. Um, I'm sorry, of this construct. So that's where the myth aspect comes from in that Yes, it's a construct, but the myth is that it's not representative of all Asian people. The condition of all Asian people is not that. Southeast Asian and other um, brown Asian people do not, do they, they don't reap the benefits of this construct. Yeah. So it's like a nobody wins situation <laughs> where it's erasing, you know, the identities of Asian people who are low income or who are brown or skinned or who are any of these things you mentioned before. And at the same time, like uh, having it as a construct is also too working against brown and black people um, and, and saying to a certain extent, like, okay, why can't y'all, you know, do what this group is supposedly able to do? But that supposed isn't true because of what you just said, because it's, it's, it, there's people who, who, who aren't 
who aren't benefiting from it. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know a better way to say that. We're trying to get this out, you know, trying to get this together. <laughs> it's complex. It's complicated. Ooh, there's it's a nuance. lot to talk through, work through. There's nuance in there. Yeah. Um, speaking <laughs> of the nuance, then um, we should probably talk about the ways in which Asian people, people of Asian descent, benefit, participate, and are complicit in this model minority construct, because there's a lot that goes into that. And um, we just wouldn't be doing it justice if we didn't really get into the meat of that. Right. Yeah, I definitely think we should get into that. And again, just with uh, the language of all of it, it's like benefiting within the context of a white supremacist system. I think that's just that's mm -hmm. something that needs to be pointed out. <laughs> and just um, like how you're participating in a white supremacist system and you're complicit in a white supremacist system, this is all within the framework of that system. Right. So um, I think one of the ways that we sort of pulled out of the video that was discussed um, with the grapevine was that there's actual um, sometimes business funds that are given to people who um, set up shop and set up um, businesses within predominantly black neighborhoods um, that they have access to. There's um, certain scholarships that are available. There's certain employment opportunities and preferences, like who is going to be seen as preferential over others, you know, because of this construct. Mm -hmm. Like, so these sorts of deals I, I, of things, I don't know if you can sort of like add in a little bit more. I'm just trying to get it out. <laughs> Well, yeah, basically with the, the whole point of the construct is to put a minority group at the top of the minority hierarchy. And it's important to um, stress that it's a social hierarchy that still places white people at the top. Yes. So within that, the goal is to encourage people to act and engage in ways in which support the system. So offering right. business funds to certain people, offering academic opportunities and also shaping the employment market in a way in which it favors those people because they see, they are seen to have those like those traits that are mm -hmm. are preferential are beneficial to um, our capitalist society like these are the ways in which people benefit because everything is crafted around the idea that the specific minority group has what it takes and should be put in these positions should have these benefits should have these securities and the right. support within the hierarchy of minorities yeah it's still go on yeah i didn't want to interrupt but i think like even stereotypes like that asian people are hard working you know why place that on on anyone you know because there's asian people are hard working and asian people aren't hard working there's a lot of different variation because we're all different people mm -hmm. um but also too when you situate that argument it's to say that black people are brown people are, are less hard working than asian people who are supposed to be this operating within this construct of model minority, you know, like mm -hmm. it's disserving everyone under white supremacist system. When I guess when we talk about the participation of um, Asians, Asian Americans in this um, model minority construct, um, the participation stems from the benefits that are to be received, right? So seeing being favorable in the eyes of white people being proximate to whiteness, right. um, we kind of touched on some of those benefits but the participation stems from those benefits that are received, right? And some of that participation looks like what we see in, every, in our everyday lives. Um, one example that was brought up 
in the grapevine video was Asian shop owners, both domestically here in the United States and abroad. So um, a common example that was said by multiple panel um, panelists was that when you go into a beauty supply store as a black mm -hmm. woman that's owned by an Asian person, um, you might be followed around and their intention is not to help you pick out the right product or, you know, like help you on like a customer service end. It's because they're afraid you're going to steal something. And so they're following you around. Um, I know Darren, when you were abroad, there were some Asian owned um, shops in Spain. I don't know if you wanted to talk about that in your experience there or other people's experiences there as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's even anything new to, to really add, but I think like abroad in Spain and also domestically uh, within the States, yes, I've been followed around like, <laughs> in shops. Like, <laughs> I don't know, like I, I have, and it has been by Asian shop owners. And like, I, that's- I, I think, yeah, I think the point <laughs> yeah, is that the reaches of this, they don't stop at the borders of the United States. You know, black people are experiencing the participation of Asian people in this system here and abroad, whether that's um, in Spain or like in African countries where uh, people have set up shop, like people who come from Asia who set yeah. up shops, like people, black people are facing the ramifications of the participation of Asian people in the system. Right, yeah, it's playing out these hierarchies. I think that's what it is. The, the word sort of came to me as you're talking. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, instead of like, okay, we're all POC, we're all operating the same way. It's like, no, I'm, I'm being policed by like Asian people at times and also white people because it's playing out the hierarchy that in order for us to exist, we must be situated as above you. That's what the construct's doing. It's like, it's making real the, this hierarchy and, and the power lines of it. Like, I don't know if by saying that, that makes any sense, but. <laughs> we already acknowledge that it's a complicated conversation. In my head, I'm thinking the same thing. So another way in which we see the participation um, of Asian people in this construct demonstrated is through pop culture. Um, and I don't know if you wanted to spearhead this conversation, Darren. Yeah, I mean, I think there's just a lot of um, wanting to use blackness or pay attention to black things to be cool <laughs> like it's mm -hmm. like i want to be cool i want to be hip so let me go and you know uh like take from black culture i think it's an issue that we readily call out white people for and we call them culture vultures when they take bits and pieces of black culture, black history, exploit it or use it for gains, but then they either don't cite, they don't um, give back the proceeds or help uplift the people that the source of the entertainment, the fashion, the food, the whatever it is came from. And so we see, we see that happening with Asian people, whether they're immigrants or not, or they're in an Asian country, we see images like in K-pop, for example, like we see images of Asian people participating in dance or like wearing certain clothes or gesturing in certain yeah. ways um, that are, I don't know, that it's, it's from Black culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's a way in which they're also participating in culture vulturing can you make it an active verb by saying culture vulturing, like culture vulturing. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we see that happening yeah and I think too a lot of it's the framing at times 
as well because I, I even think a lot of people will say but like but other people are doing it but other people are doing stuff but other people are borrowing and taking so you're saying we can't and I'm like no that's not the point the point is that um this should just not be be happening and I think like when again with the power structures when there's people who are able to take um and not name or to take and use and like benefit from it um then it's only sort of it's it's the directionality when people bring that up of like, oh, well, Black people take this from somewhere else. Well, when we're talking about this, we have to remember that this is a lot, this has a lot to do with power. So right. who has the power to, again, like participate and benefit from it? It's the people who are at, at like higher points in that hierarchy. So white people participate in culture vulturing and they benefit because they have placed themselves at the top of the social hierarchy. When it comes to um, Asian people, they have been placed at least a peg above Black people. So when they engage in this behavior as well, they are also essentially culture vultures because they have been given a power above Black people when it comes to this made-up social hierarchy that, again, falls within the context of white supremacy. Yeah, and I think it's important to acknowledge that and to acknowledge like anti-Blackness that's entrenched in this construct um, in order to, to dismantle it. If we don't have people who are able to say that like, this is something that does happen and this is something I actively participate in or I know other people like me actively participate in it, how are we supposed to get out of it? I think there needs to be that acknowledgement. And I think instead of like looking at each other and saying like, well, you're doing it or, or this group is doing it, really being able to honestly recognize the power structure and white su supremacy that has created that power structure in order to pull us apart um, rather than to get us to sort of collect together in, in action. Like that's, that's what I think about it. Um, I yeah. think we also too were talking about this notion of being complicit as well. Um, and in the same vein of, of, of uh, social media and pop culture, I think it's just this idea that people are going to employ like hip hop or black cultural things um, when it serves them being cool, but they're not going to necessarily talk about it when, you know, someone has been sort of, I don't know, uh, when someone has been hurt on part of, I know what I want to say. Why am I not saying it? Victimized. <laughs> yeah. When someone has been <laughs> victimized, when someone has been um, called out, uh, when someone uh, or like a, a Black artist comes under attack and like, you don't want to talk about it because it's contentious. Oh, we're just going to leave that alone. We're not going to we're not going to say or do anything about it. Like, it's sort of like, where's that same energy when Black people are denigrated on social mm -hmm. media? Like, you know, I don't know. I think it, there just needs to be um, a bit of an understanding of, of the ways in which, like, power can be leveraged to sort of lessen the gap that's um, being created by this construct for yep. people. And even if that power has been arbitrarily given by by a group that doesn't even have power to distribute, really, if we get down to it. Yeah. Um, it's important to understand the ways in which certain groups of people use their power or when they choose to use their power. And that brings us to, like, the broader conversation about complicit behavior in service of white supremacy within the Asian community. Um, I know then in the panel there was a lot of discussion about, well, Asian Americans have suffered this. Um, they talked about Japanese internment camps and day-to-day -day microaggressions and all these other things. But um, and how right now with coronavirus, like they're 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 just you know they're going through it. Right. But 
the black people on the panel kind of turned it around. They're like, well, where were you? Where were you when we were going through these things on a regular basis? We've been calling out for help. Like we haven't seen you um, like, you know, coming to our aid, to our defense in the ways in which you can. So yes, it's about acknowledging how um, you benefit and participate, but also acknowledging that there have been opportunities for um, allyship to develop, yeah. but they haven't come into fruition. And now that's being asked of, of us. And it's like, well, we, are we, are we just going to help you at, at, at you know, a more risk to us? Because, you know, anytime we have um, any sort of activism in favor of black people, you know, we always risk harm on our bodies or um, on our family, all those sorts of things. It, yeah. He's like, you want to jump in? No. Yeah. I think you detailed that like, like extremely well, I guess what I was thinking while you're talking about that was just like, there has just been this historical legacy for like Asian Americans in this country. And that's horrible. Like that's absolutely horrible and disgusting. Um, and I think there's been a historical legacy of atrocities towards black Americans in this country as well. That's, that's horrible. And, and I, I don't think that anyone's trying to set any sort of a, um, like a, a bounty on like what's worse to say this is better or this is worse than this. I think it's not what, the oppression Olympics. Yeah, it's not Olympics. Like both groups can be in excruciating pain and we don't want that to be the case. But I think it's more so like historically when you're looking at movements um, within the country to fight for uh, equality, a lot of times it's sort of like black people are putting like our bodies on the line, on the first lines. Black women, black trans folk um, are out there, are marching, are in the streets are the ones getting arrested, are the ones that are uh, being targeted by the police right now, are the ones uh, oftentimes too as well who are um, being arrested um, at, at very large rates. And it's sort of like, where are, are, are those voices when those things are happening? I think it's just getting at sort of like being able to acknowledge that we all can have like pain and, and all can and look at the ways that white supremacy has harmed us uh, in terms of our communities. But at the same time, to like leverage power within a system that's broken to help each other out, you know, to show up for each other. Um, the directionality of that, I think, needs to be questioned at times. Um, yeah, because uh, again, a lot of this conversation has come up um, in the context of coronavirus and um, a call to action by Asian immigrants, Asian Americans about the mistreatment, the prejudice, um, all of that yeah. that's been going on, disgusting. but it's absolutely disgusting. No one is going to sit here and, um, and, and, you know, I don't know, say that that's okay. Yeah. But <laughs> I think there's, oh, with, within that, we also need to talk about the history about um, even the most recent calls to action and what the response has been Um from people that aren't directly impacted because like we're saying, all of this falls under a system of white supremacy. So even though no, when there were these shootings of unarmed black people in the United States, no, they those were not Asian people that were shot. But when you look at the system as a whole, the ramifications were going to eventually fall on um, other minority groups. So right. that's why it's important for us all to understand the roots. I think, um, I think her name was um, Kim on the panel. She did a really good job of talking about how underneath the white supremacy umbrella, there's three pillars. Uh, the war on imperialism, 
chattel slavery, and then also the genocide of indigenous people. So when we talk about all these things, the model minority construct also falls underneath that. But at the end of the day, everything we're going through falls underneath that umbrella. Yeah. And so it's important to talk about all of them with each other, not just in terms of how we've suffered, but ways in which we can recognize um, places for change and what we can all do to work towards a better tomorrow for us all. Yeah, I agree. Because it just, it's like, who's next? You know, when something happens, it's just, who are we going to throw under the bus now? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Like, we saw this repeating. before. Yeah, it's like, yep, it's we like, saw it before. Yeah, yeah we've seen it. Um, with several groups. So, I mean, I think like in where we go from here, I think a lot of it is looking at like the self versus the systemic. I think for the self, something that I, I think we were talking about a lot was just individual acts, like individual agency. So it's like, what am I going to do about it? Like, so if I'm on social media and I see something happening, am I going to comment? You know, am I going to say something? Like, is that something that I'm going to do in my daily life? Um, I think that's like an individual step that could be taken. But I also think there's some like systemic things. I don't know if there's any that um, are in your mind, Jocelyn, particularly. Yeah. So um, back to the individual. Um, it's also about just in your everyday interactions. Something that was discussed on the panel was that um, some of the Asian panelists are talking about how their friends say that they see things on the street or they see things in the workplace, but they don't want to say anything or get involved because it's none of their business or they just don't want to bring yeah. problems to themselves <laughs> or start a fight. And so I guess like working on our individual mentalities surrounding um, helping others as not only helping others in and of itself, but it, it turns into helping each other. So um, yeah, again, back to part. those, <laughs> back to the umbrella of white supremacy with that. Um, in terms of, I guess, a systemic level, we, we get a lot of information from the media, but yeah. the media is also responsible for a lot of racial hostility um, towards both groups. And I think when we understand it to be that, we can look at media through a different lens or through a different filter. Um, and so I think media in terms of, of course, the news, but also um, in terms of entertainment, because that was also mm. something that was brought <laughs> up was representations of both groups of people in entertainment and how um, uh, one panelist kind of said that, oh, you know, like when I talked to my family back in Korea about coming to visit, uh, I live in New York and everything they know they've seen from TV. So they're afraid of getting robbed at gunpoint by a black person or something like that, because right. that's what they've seen. So again, like being mindful of the media that we consume, how we let it form our heuristics of other people yeah. um, and how it shapes the discourse that we have um, with other people in terms of um, what we're going through and what, what we should do to, again, like, yeah better all of our uh, situations yeah and understanding that like um the way way this works with white supremacy largely in the media is that sometimes it pits groups against each other so pitting asians against blacks so then like we just have this idea that like uh we need our pain to be seen as more legitimate like so instead of the conversation being about what can we do to dismantle the system it becomes about sort of like no but this happened to my group or like oh no but this be happened to my group and there's just this conversation um, I wish I could draw a triangle, <laughs> with, like both of my hands being the bottom of the triangle between each other, looking at each other saying like, you know, but you did this, but you took this, but this happened rather than looking up 
and saying, hey, we need to do X, Y, and Z or um, fix this as a system so we're no longer um, the pawns of the system. Like we're, we're actively engaged with, with trying to, to break it apart. Yeah. yeah. Teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and white supremacy, you know, kind of messed up everybody. <laughs> and I think it's, it's important to remember that even when we leave these very like stressful times where it becomes apparent that that's what's shaping um, our interpersonal relationships. Um, like we've said, it, history repeats itself. We've seen this when it came to SARS. We've seen it with Ebola. Um, and so ideally what should be happening is I guess holding this time in memory um, in service for action later so that we don't leave this time and then all of a sudden like everybody just forgets and it goes back to reinforcing that social hierarchy where we do have a model minority in place and society benefits people who reinforce and participate and are complicit in it um, so yeah. I guess that's the ultimate goal how we do that, that's an ongoing discussion. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's a discussion we want to have with everyone who listens or, you know, come ac comes across the content. Um, we, we need to have an active discussion because there's so many different perspectives, so many different experiences. And the proper way to solution it is to hear as many of those voices as possible and then figure out within um, all of our means, how we're going to execute um, action um, to make things better for everyone. Yeah, I agree. And I, I also encourage to, as like we have this cool podcast space and we have an Instagram, like I really want to hear what everyone thinks about this. And I want like more discourse to exist about this. So like, please like comment, like when we put up stuff, please send us questions, please tell us what you think um, for next week's topic um our word on the street please uh give us some ideas about if you want us to talk about this some more or what you want us to talk about so just please just let us know you know talk back at us don't just let us talk <laughs> yeah it's a conversation uh so we mentioned before that we could talk about this topic from a lot of different perspectives or areas in life that it impacts um specifically about um academic achievement education attainment and um, opportunities. So um, we kind of feel like that should be its own dedicated episode because there's actual yeah. legislation, there's a whole body of research that uh, kind of unpacks how the model minority construct um, plays out in the classroom, whether it's K through 12 or um, in higher ed. So I think having a separate conversation again with your guys's um, input would be really awesome so if that's something that you're interested in let us know and we can put that together yeah yeah so with that should we get to the word on the street i think so let's do it So this week for our word on the street, we just want to have a conversation about Adele on Instagram and social media. I think she posted a, a picture and there was just a lot of contention around that picture, um, largely because of her weight loss. So I don't know if I had too many strong points, but other than the fact that Adele didn't start this conversation, <laughs> like 
Adele yeah. just uploaded a photo and, and I, I think it was a birthday post yeah. um, that she made and she was just happy to see another year and the people took it somewhere else. Specifically, yeah. they took it in two camps of, oh girl, you look great. Congrats on the weight loss. And then the camp of, I want to like categorize it as like within the body positivity movement of like, don't congratulate people on their weight loss. Like you don't know why she lost weight. Um, like we shouldn't be celebrating that women shouldn't be celebrated for like losing just that general yeah. discourse of like, let's not celebrate women, um, and their bodies because they've lost weight or shame them because they've gained weight or they used to be bigger. And I think for me, the moral of the story was just like what you said, Darren, like she didn't say any of this. <laughs> yeah. She just shared a birthday picture and everyone kind of hopped on it to to comment about her body. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not really anyone's business. Yeah. And there's just this framing to like this discourse that she, I, as far as I know, I don't follow all of it, but I think she is going through a divorce or went through a divorce. And they're like, well, you know, she got her revenge body back. She did it. And I feel like it's just, it's problematic for many reasons. Maybe some that I can't explain, but a lot of people were attributing her losing weight to her divorce, like pushing this idea that like she was doing it to be seen as desirable by yeah, other men. about the male yeah. games yeah. and <laughs> how like she's getting back at her ex, but then also like upping her like marketability now that yeah. she's single, all sorts of things that again, your girl didn't say anything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just want to hear the album. Like that's all I want to hear. Like, I don't know. Like she's a songwriter and she's just a singer. And that's that's what I'm interested in. Like, yeah, I don't uh, know. people. I think that's something that celebrities deal with, but I think we also see it with everyday people where people are overly invested in things that have nothing to do with them. Um, they become personally attached to other people's actual bodies. Yeah. Um, and so they're projecting whatever it is that they associate with weight loss, right? From whatever perspective you come from, it could be good, it could be bad, it could be neutral, it could be for the male gaze, it could be not, it could be any sort of thing, but the, the point just being... just put up a picture. It's her birthday. Her birthday. I hope she Can't she be happy birthday. it's her birthday without it turning yeah. into a discussion about her weight? Um, yeah. This is not to like discredit any arguments or discussion that are about... Um, why we lose weight, um, both positive and negative, accepting your body, any and all of that. It's just to say that it was very interesting to see the conversation devolve into what it turned into yeah. when, at least from face value, what she put, the word she put with that picture had nothing to do with her her new weight, her new size, what <laughs> yeah. her body looks like now. Yeah, so. and headlines too. You know, they're like, Adele shows off her weight loss. I was like, is that what she's doing? Or is she just posing for a picture on her birthday? <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, word on the street. So y'all are talking about that. <laughs> so that was our word on the street. We want to thank you all for joining us for another episode of Millennials Unpublished. Tune in each week as we figure out life together. Yes, please continue to rate, subscribe, write a review, and share the podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please shout us out on Instagram at Millennials Unpublished. That's with two L's and two N's. And for me, at Darren27. And I'm at Jaunty Jazz. Thanks again. 
we'll speak with you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.